1: Welcome, everyone, to Live Dimer Sunday for July 28th, 2019. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Boy, (coughs) that's right in the middle of a a summer season, I guess you could call it. And I think uh, everybody's always busy because the pace of life, um, there's a lot to change. Lots of interdependency um I was thinking about you know a um, person's social calendar um, so oh this is this this past weekend we had to do this and this and and uh, we're no exception uh We had to go to several events over the weekend we uh, uh, on Adrian's side, there was a a family reunion
2: that has, had been planned for, you know, a, it's a biannual event. And um, so
1: somebody's organizing that, and and uh, we had said we'd go. It was about a three-hour drive north of us uh, in Palo Alto. And then we said, well, since we're going over there, that's pretty close to where our son lives. Let's go visit the new grand, the grandson. Okay, so we set that up and, and he in, so <laughs> we went a little bit, we left a little bit early. Uh, we left about seven o'clock in the morning here and we drove three hours and saw the little guy, Tyler. And um, you know how much babies change in a short amount of time. Oh, he's, he's a precious guy. And then we go to the Reunion and see you know I mean, there's quite a few people there in the park. It was in a, held uh, in a park uh, in uh, Palo Alto and see a lot of extended family members that you haven't seen for
2: you know, maybe years. And you say,
1: oh yeah, and you know you got a lot of memories, a lot of stories to exchange, and uh, so that started about eleven o'clock and. They
2: had different things going on there, and uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the <clears throat> by
1: lots of change, lots of interdependency. You know, this is the two biggest things about the reality of life. Okay, impermanence so means constant change, dynamic. Interdependency too reflects the dynamic nature. Okay, of how of our Uh, social network, I guess you'd call it, including family and friends and so forth. Uh, This is a very,
2: very uh, dynamic
1: thing, and you wonder, well, you might think about, when you think about these things, because then after uh, let me just finish it off with, then a good friend of ours was having a, Back locally here was having a uh, party. They they were give, they give him a party a fiftieth birthday party, significant birthday, you know. So we drove back three hours, and that started at six o'clock. And again, so we we have another social
2: network, okay. And uh, again, the pace of life, okay and uh, one social calendar um
1: so many things depends on the context in terms of person place and time okay? and when you think about that you say well, okay depends on when you th- when you're making judgments of oh this is busy or isn't this good or or this happened or um uh, during the commute this happened or this happened and I realized, right in the midst of this dynamic flow of reality, that really is
2: that that
1: uh, well, Buddhist perspective, like I said, it interdependency, constant change. That you we can't really everything depends. If we start to try to evaluate, oh, this is going on, this is going on, that you can't really make a definite judgment one way or the other about what's going on because it depends on person, place,
2: and time. So then I thought, this is why the Buddhist teachings uh, lead us to,
1: in the midst of everything, we don't have to be judgmental. Even judgmentalness of being busy or not. Life is going on. You accept life.
2: Even when the
1: whatever the pace of life is, whatever the context is and because uh, otherwise we always feel we have to evaluate something okay uh, oh busy or not busy or this and that this and that
2: uh, the kind of perspective i guess that that we have. And, um, oh, this is busy, or, oh, oh I got
1: to do these things at home on the home front, you know, chores or responsibilities. Eh, I don't know. I didn't think at the time, I didn't say eh, but that's sort of a, uh, accepting the pace of life, what's going on, without having to make any kind of judgmentalness, you know, not even. Beyond the positive or negative or anything like that, uh, just life going on. Okay? Well, anyway, I, as always, I'm just kinda, kind of, kind uh, of rambling, and so uh, I want to introduce. Well, another thing that happened is, guess to give us a Dharma glimpse. We're trying to upload the Dharma glimpse. And things change in the uh, blog talk radio. You know our our service here uh, and <clears throat> technical things don't go right.
2: Well, yeah, you know,
1: okay, she's going to do
2: it live. You know,
1: and again, uh, a lot of change, a lot of interdependency. So get to talk to her live today. And this is Wendy Shinyo Sensei. She was part of our LM2 group. Wow, we're on an LM12 right now. Uh, as she as she might say, an old timer. Okay, of course she's very young at heart, as we all are. She lives in upstate New York, and sometimes we start talking about geography and you know parts of the country and climate and all these things. But uh, uh, here's Wendy Shinjo Sensei.
0: Thank you, Reverend Coyle. Yes, interdependency, going with the flow, what's happening now. Um, What's happening now is I uploaded my Dharma glimpse, and it got stuck in processing, and I let it go all night. I woke up this morning, it was still processing, so I figured it was time for a live Dharma glimpse. Um, So today, (coughs) I'd like to share a reflection and a practice on right speech. I know that's not really necessarily related to uh, Reverend Coyle's theme of interdependency, but in some ways it is, because um, I'm going to uh, posit that uh, right speech and meaningful speech depend much more on listening than speaking. So it's 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 an activity that demands interdependency and the awareness of that we are all interconnected. Uh, this section that I, this glimpse that I'm going to read, actually I pulled out of a, uh, a part of my upcoming book. I'm going to do a shameless plug here. Um, I have a book coming out soon, and this is part of that book. So, so here's the thing about right speech. Um, it, it, it's totally dependent on, right listening or listening or deep listening. You know, if we could gradually, you know, train ourselves to really listen to others or, and listen to the birds and the animals and the insects and the wind through the trees. I know now um, in the dog days of summer, the cicadas are wildly crescendoing and decrescendoing. It's one of my favorite sounds because it just takes you away. And when it does that, you're, you're not judging. You're not, you're, not, uh, you're not stuck in your mind. So I think if we listen to others the way we sort of listen to nature, I believe this practice of right speech wouldn't be as difficult as it is for most of us. You know, I believe right speech is one of, if not the hardest, of the eightfold path to practice. You know, I, I often wonder, too, if one of the reasons people tend to speak so loudly on social media, which where a lot of not-so-right speech tends to happen, is because no one listens to them in real life. You know, Zenshin Michael Hederle wrote about a social media communication phenomena of not using meaningful speech and using harsh speech, in an article that I found in the winter 2009 tricycle magazine, and he titled it Dharma Wars. And then he was talking about how people would get in these groups on the internet. And even though there were Dharma practitioners, you know, they were constantly fighting, fighting among each other about, um, whose practice is best, best, what belief is best, what school is this? What's, you know, what, what lineage is this? So, he thought it was just what, a, what an, uh, an awful place to practice when it really was, you know, could be a good place to practice. And in this article, he quoted John Suler. He was a, He's a psychology professor at Ryder University. And this guy says that Internet users fall prey to what he calls the, quote, online disinhibition effect. He says that the medium, the online medium itself, drives you to act out in ways you normally wouldn't because people experience their own computers and laptops and smartphones and other online environments as an extension of their self, you know, an extension of their mind. And therefore, they feel to project their own inner dialogues onto these exchanges with other people. Yeah, I have witnessed this myself, especially during, like, election cycles or other hot-button social and political issues currently in the news. People who I wouldn't have expected to reacted in angry and vocal ways, and it would surprise me. Even if they didn't always, like, directly comment angrily, they posted, like, angry links or gave, you know, thumbs-up or likes to an aggressive, sarcastic or angry post that someone else uh, uh, put on the Internet. So it, would, it makes me question my own posting behavior. And I, I, I got thinking about it, and it encouraged me to renew a vow I had made a few years before. Now, this is, I'm reflecting on this because it's happened in the past, but you'll see how it played out. A vow to question each thing I am tempted to post or like before I do so. It, it's, it's a test. To see if look at my mind and say, is this something I would say directly to anyone who is standing in front of me? Any and I have to I have to think that everybody who might view my post are essentially people who are standing right in front of me. And would I say that if they were standing right right in front of me? So I renewed that vow, and so I've stopped myself many times. Even yesterday, I was about to post the something that i i just was kind of upset about and uh, and uh and it it wasn't particularly uh uh divisive but it it was something i just wanted to share because i guess i just wanted to get it off my chest but i stopped myself because i thought that is not meaningful to anyone so even though I was talking about this from a few years ago. Over the last year or so, I had noticed a bit more gentleness and civility in conversations on social media. It still tends to be a forum where it feels like everyone is talking at once, talking over each other, no one's listening. But that's the problem. It is like that. And true connection with others comes when we are being present with them, not talking at them. Now, we can be present with someone on the Internet, too, even if they're not sitting in front of us, by bearing witness to whatever is happening in their emotional space or trying to understand what's happening in their emotional space. It's easier when they're in front of you because we can, we can, under, we can see their gestures and their um, facial expressions. But even on the Internet, if it, you, you can uh, understand their silences Um, You can understand their manner of speaking, and you can understand their expressions, even if they're um, emojis. Um, But when we speak, being present and bearing witness to the world around us is more difficult and impossible in many ways for most, myself included, because speaking requires this sort of like It was almost like that online disinhibition effect. Speaking requires that deep participation in the stuff inside our own heads, in our concepts, in our thinking, as we try to form the words we're going to say. And much of the things that we fall back on when we're speaking are expressions of concepts in the past or preconceived ideas and opinions that are not particularly responsive to what is happening now. Speaking, I, I think, is dualistic. Listening is a non-dual activity of oneness. The reason we speak is to speak to someone. That's the dualistic nature of it. It is us expressing ourselves to the other. And frequently, it is us expressing how they are the other based on the concepts we are speaking about. Kind of like, this is what I say. This is what I think, which is not what you think, so I must tell you how I think, and maybe it will help you come around to thinking like me, which is what we really want, right? So much (laughs) speaking is completely unnecessary, even in conversation. The trick is to maintain an open awareness when listening. Deep listening to the speaker and awareness and guarding of your internal chatter and reactive responses so that you won't say something purely out of habit. This involves consciously deciding when to listen and when to speak. If we keep those choices in our hot zone or our reactive zone where we speak impulsively or from habit, conversations can become two people talking at each other. Nobody would be nobody would be listening. You know, I Oren J. Sofer, he wrote this book, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. He released this book uh, pretty recently, and I just found it, and it it really is awesome, and I encourage others to pick it up. But he suggests that our anxieties in conversation are, quote, usually rooted in deeper needs to be seen or heard, needs for safety, acceptance, belonging, and so on. The less confident we feel in meeting those needs, the more pressure we will experience to speak up or remain silent. You know, we may fear that if we don't say something right now, we'll never be able to do so, or that if we do say something, maybe it'll cause a disconnection or some sort of disaster, unquote. Sofer explains that if we work to meet these deeper needs, then our conversational reactivity will decrease and we can relax into a more natural conversational flow. But like all things, based on being more mindful, being more aware, building this ability to have a more natural, less needs-driven conversation will take practice. And eventually we will notice, though, being more and more aware of our own urge to speak, building the space, to make a conscious decision about, okay, whether to listen, whether to speak, whether to speak now, whether to speak later. And, you know, there is one other element that is involved in listening that goes beyond giving others room to speak, and that's the way we're listening. Is it authentic listening or gratuitous listening? Authentic or engaged listening is listening, you know, with the mind open. It's not enough to shut our mouths. But we also need to open our minds. are we caught up in our own problems our stress our distractions? are we listening to agree? are we listening to disagree? Are we listening openly without constantly judging? There is also the other thing that I think is at play with listening and and this comes from my personal experience It may not be everyone's but I believe that the hearing sense door you know versus the Feeling sense door or the seeing sense door seems to be more neutral in our reactions to the world around us. My own personal meditation style is based on the unified mindfulness techniques advanced by Shin Zen Young. This unified mindfulness method uses awareness practices or some sort of it's whatever, vipassana type of see, hear, feel. And it's, the point is to build concentration sensory clarity, and equanimity. So I will typically start meditation and a general awareness session by sitting quietly with either open or closed eyes and noting that I am hearing without a classification or judgment, just a matter of hearing and noting that I am hearing. When I am just hearing, I am then less inclined to label or conceptualize the experience as pleasant, unpleasant, good or bad, Or to engage in other thoughts like, gee, I should dust, or I need to weed the garden, or all those other things that pop up when I'm just seeing. So, if we could use that same approach when listening to another speak, we will notice the other's tone of voice, their word choices, their pauses, and their energized excitement when they speed up the pace of their conversation. All these things can communicate more about how they feel than what they are actually saying. When you are truly listening to all these things, you are totally engaged. And when you are engaged, your conversation partner will be aware of that. They will notice that you're listening and notice that you're not planning your next response. They will notice that your reactivity went quiet and not just your speech. And in that noticing, they will feel heard. I'd like to share another practice Sofer offers in his book, where in his book he brings mindfulness and somatic, somatic or bodily experience practices with principles of nonviolent communication, which is something he teaches. And he does it, in my mind, in a way that interweaves the eightfold path with the primary focus on right speech. He doesn't describe the book that way, but it seems to accomplish just that. He explains that he's inspired by Titnat Han's Right Speech Guidelines. And so he offered his book on principles and practices um, to help guide us during these challenging times where so many people are interacting on a global scale, where widely varying views, beliefs, cultures, and environments are being communicated virtually and in face to face communication. He writes, quote, We live at a time when we are less and less able to listen and really hear one another in society, at a time when those with different views, beliefs, or backgrounds are so easily cast as the other. At this time when great forces of political, social, economic, and environmental change are sweeping the globe and intensifying our own feeling of separation from self, others, and life, we need to learn how to speak and listen in a new way. We need to learn how to perceive our world with fresh eyes, beyond inherited historical and economic structures of competition and separation that can so easily determine our relationships. True dialogue is more than the mere exchange of ideas. It is a transformative process based on trust and mutual respect in which we come to see another in new and more accurate ways. Another quick practice from his book is a practice of choice points that I'd like to leave you with. Choice points is, a, is, is an activity of consciously choosing when to speak and when to listen instead of just reacting from habit. This practice expands on that earlier concept of should I speak now, later, should I listen? So here's how he describes the practice. To practice, choose someone with whom you feel relatively comfortable. This familiarity makes it easier to learn how to do this. And during the conversation, notice when you choose to speak. If you find yourself talking without having consciously chosen to do so, try stopping and leaving space for the other person to continue. Notice what it's like to actively choose to say something rather than doing so automatically. Pay particular attention to any urgency or reluctance to speak or any sensations of internal pressure. Use that pressure as a signal to make a more conscious choice, unquote. So I suggest we all try a little harder to listen to others, speak less, and strengthen the web of real communication between each other. We need it more now than ever. May it be so.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah. So many points are raised
2: and uh,
1: reinforce each other and
2: Make us a lot of the things I think uh, the teachings reflect on. Nothing new, but it's it it is newer in the moment. You know,
1: not newer in the in in the sense that we haven't heard it in the past before. But
2: uh, I think that a dharma talk really says, "Hey, how about this? Okay, uh, how about me?"
1: and Right speech is something that you know, sort of as a general
2: topic, I guess, is uh, um, common. But uh, I I read something once when it talks about truth, or
1: truth of life, or you know, a life's a life's truth. That human beings uh, they got to hear it three times. First time you just say, oh. You know, it goes in your physical ear and you say, Oh, something was said, you know, auditory stimulation. Okay. Then the same thing said again, you say, Oh, you start thinking about the, what it means. Okay, uh, and, But still, nothing's going to, you're not going to change as a result of this. Okay. Then the third time you got to hear the truth where you can personalize it, internalize it, say, Hey, how about it? Well, hey, what? Gee, you know. Um sometimes you tell somebody something and you think that's the message and you don't have to say it again but life always is whether we like it or not coming at us telling us hey wake up wake up hey listen listen okay um, i think about uh well of course listening is an auditory thing and and a visual thing is Often the analogy is made about enlightenment
2: that, you know, when you're in the dark and you, uh, if you can't see, okay, and you're trying to, uh, some
1: non-enlightenment could be called going through uh, life asleep,
2: okay, where
1: we don't wake up. We don't open our eyes and see. So we're bumping into things. We're sort of sleepwalking, okay. And being in the dark also means something for the auditory nature of things. And, and there's filled with a lot of cacophony or, and as was mentioned in the dimer Glimpse, the social media, the small world, the way we communicate, it, it, it's, it's crucial more and more now in terms of uh, raising our awareness, whatever you want to call it and uh so I was thinking of all kinds of associations that were triggered in my mind by listening to this this topic okay it could be it could be uh something common as do you swear you know cuss okay this is, you know, clearly you, this comes out of frustration
2: or anger a lot of times, and we cuss, and we don't really. Like ourselves, I think, when we do that, you know. Um And ironically, the
1: the person that's gets subjected to that is the one that you care about the most, that you're closest to. Sure, you cuss at some stranger, some driver, rude driver, something like that. Okay, uh, but some sometimes we we give them more leeway. Okay. But when somehow when a person's close to us, now there's an interesting dynamic there. Why, why do you hurt the one you love? Okay. Some psychologists might say, well, because you know, if your family member, the 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 social structure is so strong uh, that it could withstand this, even though that's not good. because okay. if you if you're uh, impolite to a stranger or to say even an acquaintance or a friend they might say hey <laughs> you know you talk to me like that i'm not, i'm not going to have anything to do with you okay and you weaken your own social your desired social relationships but family uh, <laughs> you, you can't get rid of family okay? of course there is estrangement and you know the the, the emotional aspect to it but so when you start thinking about it, it's, it's a very complex social interaction, okay? and yet very simple in a way. Huh? Of course, egos involved. Of course, uh, you know you want to feel right. You want to feel, hey, that's not fair, and you gotta make your point, and all this. It's really complicated, but at the same time. Hey, just be kind. If you can't say something nice about somebody, don't say anything. I mean, that's just a common, you know, quote. Uh, But anyway, I know I was thinking about the first thing I thought about when I heard the topic was when you think about spiritual practice. This is the right. Listening is the most basic thing there is. Because without that, you don't get any awareness. Um, you could get distracted, or you could get you could feel you're judging yourself on whether you did your spiritual practice today. You know, when it's something specific, and if you did do it, you say, ah, you know, I'm all, I'm doing okay. Okay, I did it. Okay. Uh, I did my morning ritual, whatever. But in Shin, Jodo Shinshu Buddhism, the point is often made that, you know, well, geez, and they have meditation, here they have this, a practice, major practice. But in Shin Buddhism, they say the most basic practice is Mon, they call it M O N, which means deep listening, okay? which means, I guess, deep
2: awareness. Aware you know, be here now. Okay. Hey, okay. instead of mentally,
1: you're someplace else, or your priorities are someplace else. It's not that easy to have beginners' mind to be open, to be emptied of all that we carry around with us, and a lot of it is judgmentalness, okay? And which has a lot of different degrees or aspects of Okay. Not just a simple kind of good bad judgmentalness, huh? Boy, uh, watching what we say is is a really tremendous thing. And in a general sense, uh, I, I, my, one of my favorite quotes is: "Great teaching requires great listening."
2: Okay.
1: Uh, <laughs> because <laughs> we'll say, "Oh." I, I I want to hear a great teaching. A great teaching will change my life. Okay, And you're looking for these great teachings out there. Oh, in this book. Oh, in this Dharma talk. Okay. Great teaching requires great listening. Well, that means me. The burden is not on something external that's going to be great, that bowls me over. Okay. Now, this doesn't mean that there isn't degrees of, good Dharma talks or good lessons or good teachings that we could, we should pay attention to or seek out. But fundamentally deep listening okay, or great listening puts the burden on the person listener. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I, I was just making jotting down associations from this Dharma glimpse and Oh, I you know a couple of pages just with my shorthand. I think you know not writing out my all my thoughts, but just shorthand. You know, I was one scene was I was in a a doctor's waiting room. Two ladies, elderly. Well, I should I I regret even saying this because it's kind of gender a gender thing. But they were talking to each other. You know, they were strangers, and I think they're talking to each other about their grandchildren or whatever. And they were talking fast and at each other, not to each other.
2: Both of them simultaneously talking away.
1: So you know they weren't listening. They had they wanted to share something about their family and, you know, everything. Uh, it was really comical. Okay? Uh, but it doesn't have to be a gender thing or it doesn't have to be I think every time everybody when you're in a dialogue or a conversation whatever you want to call it, social interaction most of the time when the other person is talking we're thinking about what we're going to say in response right we don't we don't really just have the empathy to listen okay? and that kind of presence I think is
2: uh, is it, it, crucial and i uh, i i also jotted down zoom okay uh, wendy Shinyo and some
1: others in the lay, our lay ministry program leaders we're gonna we're switching our our um small group dialogue sessions every week okay every group okay they discuss their uh assign readings, their reports, other people's reports and so forth. And we for all these years, okay, uh, we've used a, a, a teleconference server. But Zoom, you can get the peop everybody's faces. Okay. Now there's pros and cons about this too, where do you want to have the visual? Okay. But It's true that when you have everybody, you can see everybody's faces on your computer screen through this server
2: called Zoom. Uh, The dialogue is very different.
1: Uh, There's a a lot of nonverbal communication going on, and you don't have to feel silence, feel such a, a stronger need to fill the silence because you could feel the people's presence uh-huh. otherwise when you're in a just an auditory conference teleconference okay, if it's quiet everybody feels a kind of a pressure to fill that fill that with some noise with with a with voice
2: okay you know? Um, So this has implications for empathy, for being here now okay, with others. Um,
1: and then I th- I'm going to leave you with this. I could talk about a lot about this, but
2: <laughs>
1: the, my my association is such that I think of these sometimes weird things or more funny things, and I was thinking about. When you talk about communication, okay, interpersonal, two people, you know, this is consumes
2: a a lot about about daily life. Okay, we're social animals. Okay, uh,
1: whether it's uh you're communicating to strangers or you go shopping or you go uh, on all levels, okay, and Fritz Perls. This goes way back to my college days when I was reading in uh, humanistic psychology, and uh, uh, Fritz Perls was the father of what they call Gestalt approach.
2: And in one of his articles, he, he was talking about you know when you communicate,
1: dialogue, conversation, when you talk and listen to another person, you want some authenticity, okay? And that word was sprinkled in the Dimer glimpse too, this morning. Uh, you don't want it to be just, you know, non-empathy, non, you know. Uh, you want it to be authentic. You, We should be changed by every interaction, social interaction we have.
2: Some feeling,
1: some deep feeling about it, okay? Uh, we learn about ourselves and we learn about another person. Okay. And he says, how does language hinder that? Okay. And we should think about how language, we can use language, authentic language to access authentic feelings, authentic relationships. Huh? <laughs> and so he identifies three kinds of ways that we talk uh, social interaction that uh, is not right speech, okay, that stops, that hinders authentic authenticity, the presence of another, and so forth. Okay, and this is kind of, well, wow, <laughs> it involves swear words, but I'm not going to swear, even though it's for educational purposes and it's okay. But he talks about. And again, again, remember the context. This is our social speech. And he calls it three kinds of S, S S-H-I-T, three kinds of S. Uh, The first one, and it it differs with regard to size, Uh, chicken S. This is the smallest one. And this is the superficial social greetings we make. Huh? We say, hey, "Good to see you. How are you?" Okay. We don't care about. We, nobody says, "Oh, how am I?" And they really start, ta- really start talking to you about it, their inner life. Oh, no, this is this is just the social chit chat. Doesn't mean anything. You're not really meeting another person. Okay. I mean, sometimes this is what well, serves a function, yes, okay, you know, but we should be aware when we're engaging in, you know, the use of language and speech and everything in terms of uh, CS, okay, chicken S. What's, what's another form of this? What's a little bit bigger S? is BS, okay, bull S, right? This is when uh, we give excuses, we give rationalizations, we start trying to talk about something that
2: you know, and everybody they know okay that hey, this is b s okay it's not it's not authentic
1: okay?
2: uh, and then he talks about the third s, which he calls elephant. S. Yes. Okay. This is the big stuff. And interestingly enough, he
1: says that parents, educators, teachers are very prone to do this engaging elephant S. Yes. This is when we over philosophicize, we over psychologize, you know, um, uh, it's the biggest form of S, okay? And so, so-called so experts, you want to share your wisdom. You want to show how smart you are, you know, although you wouldn't put it that way, okay? And you start talking and your head's in the clouds and you're not really, this is where you're talking at someone, at an audience. You're not really communicating, okay? Uh, there's no, and when a person talks like that, and they, I got, just had another association. Reverend Haya Akigarasu's my father's teacher's book, uh, on the back cover of Shout Buddha. Man, I want to hear your shout. Huh? I don't want to hear all these kinds of S's.
2: I want to hear something real.
1: Okay? Now, of course, in this talk on this, Reverend A- Akegarasu says, yeah, you know, there's uh, tears and anger and good fe- and feelings in all kinds of talk. But it's, you know, you could cry, you could yell, but
2: an authentic shout. I don't want to hear any C-S, any B-S, any elephant-S. huh? Uh, when you hear somebody coming out
1: inside themselves, boom. It's like, uh, well, we have a new grandson. He's only six weeks old. He's authentic in whatever he does. You know that? (laughs) Uh Uh And even his birth cry is authentic. Doesn't depend upon any social factors, prestige, uh, (laughs) you know. Uh, And
2: it behooves us to it's a challenge, right? Speech, okay. um, But the innocence of it, uh, the 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 uh, you
1: know, sometimes because that could be used in a wrong way by someone. So I'm, I want I'm if someone tells you, hey, I want to I, I want to tell you something very, I want to be honest with you. Now you know you know you're not going to hear something good when someone says that. Well, I'm going to be honest
2: with you. Okay, uh, <clears throat> critical wrong speech is so common. Okay,
1: or they might say, "Hey, this is I'm saying this for your own good," or "I'm just saying the facts. I'm not being judgmental." <laughs> it's so I better quit. I better quit. I'm. But I really appreciate this topic and um uh, that's all for today's broadcast till next time keep
2: going with right speech and you have a beautiful day thank you